invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll continue in our uh, sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called. These, Matthew, these chapters in Matthew 5 through 7 remind us again that uh, God intends for this uh, message to be at work in our lives in several different ways. Uh, certainly to, to be a mirror that's held up before us as we read the commands of God, his requirements, his expectations, if you will, to, to show us uh, the need that we have uh, for Christ. Uh, it's a picture as well of righteousness for, for us to pursue uh, through the working of Christ in our lives. And, and it's both a, a warning against sin and, as we see, an enticing to uh, righteousness, to walking with Christ. In all of this, we have said uh, each week that we see the, the, the majesty of Christ uh, displayed before us, uh, his greatness, the beauty of who he is as the one who perfectly fulfills all that is preached in the Sermon on the Mount perfectly fulfills all that God would expect of us. And therefore, ultimately, even in the places where the Sermon on the Mount is very challenging, very convicting, it's greatly encouraging, too, because it reminds us in those very moments that Jesus, the one speaking, is the one who we've put our trust in if we're here and we've put our hope in Christ. And, and his righteousness is accredited to us. Jesus is uh, the way that God sees us is through that work of Jesus. So we can uh, venture in specifically to the passages we've looked at the last couple of weeks. There's really uh, six uh, admonitions, six clarifications, uh, six uh, sayings that Jesus goes through in this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've uh, seen already a couple of weeks ago that Jesus says, hey, uh, uh, unjustified anger is really the same inward motivation as murder. So walking in righteousness with Jesus is not just about avoiding actually physically killing someone. It's about what, what's going on in our heart in terms of anger. Last week, we were reminded, hey, uh, by the way, uh, looking at someone with lustful intent, that, in fact, is the, is the same inward motivation as actually committing a, a, a physical affair, having an affair and committing adultery. Uh, it goes on and speaks about the fact that uh, divorce, except for those reasons of uh, infidelity or maybe abandonment, uh, too, is something that Jesus says, hey, that, that's not really, not really my design for that relationship. Now, in all of these things, again, as I just said, uh, I don't think Jesus is so interested in us sort of looking backward and, and saying, goodness, look at all these mistakes I've made in my past or look at these mistakes I made just this last week in some of these areas. He wants us to receive his grace and move on forward and aim for the good things that he has for us in the future for our lives. And and he has that intent for us as well today as we look at chapter five, verse thirty three through thirty seven and talk about something that might on the surface seem a little bit uh, more enigmatic, a little bit more uh, confusing or complicated than those other matters that we can, you know, those other things I just talked about, we can all relate to pretty well. But this matter of uh, speaking truth. Uh, fulfilling God's commandment to uh, not lie, as it says in the ninth commandment, and, and also, as we'll see, to not take the Lord's name in vain with the things that we say that maybe we don't really mean to do. So I invite you to stand with me as you uh, hear me read aloud and read along silently with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 33, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, where it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or 
by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. You may be seated. And as you do, let's pray again. Father, we uh, stop to pause each week and pray specifically for this time of the preaching of your word. Um, We pray for other parts of our worship service, but specifically for this, because we really want to hear from you. And because we know how difficult it is for us to hear. And and I know how difficult it is uh, many times for me to proclaim all that you would have for me to and to do it in a way that would be skillful and bless your people. So we need the Holy Spirit all the way around this process of uh, the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of your word. So help us today with that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, annual bake sale was coming up at First Church. And uh, Alice had known that it was coming uh, ahead of time, but uh, she, things had gotten busy and she'd forgotten until the morning of, Sunday morning. And so she had to quickly try to throw together some ingredients to make an angel food cake as the kids were running around and trying to get them dressed and get ready for church that day. In the process, of course, she got distracted, didn't pay attention, and the angel food cake did not set up the way it was supposed to. It was pretty collapsed in the middle and she was fearful about not bringing something to the church event and decided that she would take matters into her own hands. And so she took a toilet paper roll and carved out a little spot and placed it down within the angel food cake and then covered up the surrounding area with icing so that you really couldn't tell what had been done. And she gave her daughter explicit instructions. Make sure you leave Sunday school early and be the first one to get to the bake sale and buy this cake. And hopefully no one will notice that you're buying your mom's, you know, your own mom's cake. Alice was horrified when her daughter walked out of the bake sale, no cake in hand, and said some other woman bought it. The next day, Alice was at a woman's social and there were a number of ladies from the church there. And it came time for a a little bit of a snack, and Alice saw that Betty, the host of the event, brought out the cake that was the one Alice had made the day before. Alice rushed into the kitchen to try to grab Betty off to the side and confess her sin, her falsehood. And, And as she began to speak to Betty, another lady piped up and said, oh, Betty, that cake just looks lovely. To which Betty replied, thank you. I made it myself. Jesus is trying to speak to us today about falsehood. About the way that we're not always completely truthful in the things that we say. And about the way that we say we're going to do things and then don't do them. And he does it by talking about something called oaths that we're going to look at in a minute. But before we get too much into that, I think it's helpful just to understand the the main idea that Jesus is really driving at. Because this is one of those passages you can lose the forest for the trees uh, pretty quickly with all this talk about oaths and heaven and Jerusalem and, you know, white, white hair, black hair, so forth. Yes, yes, no, no. 
Jesus is just trying to communicate this main point, and you can find it in your worship guide in the notes section at the back if you want, that because we're people, all of us, who are frequently false, maybe not all the time, but we're frequently false, that we should trust in God who is always true. The first thing probably that we should look at is this idea of admitting our falsehood. And then we're going to talk for a moment about what it looks like to begin by the power of Christ in our lives to begin to speak truth more faithfully and more regularly. And then ultimately, we're going to conclude by looking at the fact that all of this directs our attention to the fact that God, the one true God, is is true, is sound in all that he says and all that he does. And our our appreciation of him, our worship of him is magnified when we put it in contrast to the falsehood that we often see in our own lives. Uh, whether it's the latest uh, crime that's involving all sorts of investigation of little bits of DNA to try to prove whether the defendant said the truth or not, or whether it's talking to our kids about something that they said the other sibling did or their friend did, and we're trying to figure out which is the real story, or whether it's that uh, error at the cash register at the grocery store that goes in our favor and figuring out whether we speak up about those matters or perhaps professional or personal commitments we've made that we don't always really seek to fulfill fully. Jesus confronts all of us with the fact that we're not always true to our word and we don't always do what we say. Now, on the surface, when you look at these verses, and and I'll admit I kind of probably look at it the same way you do, it kind of, it seems a little trivial compared to the other matters that are focused in on in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. But it's interesting, I think, as we walk through it, we'll see why it's so important. But I'll say right off the bat that the fact that Jesus chooses to list this among these six particular clarifications of uh, walking in kingdom obedience should, it, should, should in itself cause each one of us to ask, okay, is that maybe more important in my life, of forthrightness, truthfulness in my speech and doing what I say, is that maybe more important or should be more important in my life than I, than I normally would think it is? Jesus seems to think it's important, so maybe we should think about that as well. Jesus, interestingly enough, is uh, addressing it in this way. He's really challenging us with the fact that we're false about our own falsehood. And we're not always true with ourselves about it. And I want to I want to walk through this in a couple of ways and ask, you know, in what ways are we false? We've kind of highlighted it already. And Jesus highlights it here with these O's in that we we don't always do what we say we're going to do. Sometimes we don't intend to even do what we say. Right. We've all made that uh, commitment. Maybe it's in a work setting. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's in a friendship or whatever where we say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But we don't really mean to do it. So we got that whole problem. Then there's other things that we say and we maybe even intend initially to do, but we forget, right? Or other things come in the way and bump that out of the side. And, and we don't think that that's sort of incidental. We, we don't feel as culpable, but it's just part of our limitations as human beings. We don't, we don't really do everything we say. And Jesus is urging us here to take a closer look at what this means for our relationship with others, what it means 
for our relationship with God. Well, how does Jesus define uh, truth and falsehood? Take a look back with me more closely at our, our verses here, 33 and following. He's, uh, he's not really quoting the Old Testament there in verse 33, although it might seem like it. He's, he's apparently quoting what would have been some sort of summary of the Old Testament in that day on these matters. And that is that several places throughout the Old Testament scriptures, God's people are actually encouraged. They're reminded that, you know, because your word is so important, because keeping your promises and commitments and, and speaking truth are so valuable, that, that, that you, ought to, you ought to really take some solemn commitment about that and speak uh, about it in a, in, a, in a way that you promise and you make a commitment to do what you're doing. So in the Old Testament, people were encouraged to say, hey, you know, God, because I'm God's and belong to God, I should do what I say I'm going to do. Now, what has happened, though, in Jesus' time? Look at verses 34. What is all this talk about taking an oath by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by your own head? Well, the, the Pharisees are, are playing that game that, that we may not play as overtly and explicitly as they do. But, but what they're trying to do, again, as we've seen all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is they're, they're losing sight of the fact that, that we're only really justified by the mercy of God. And we really are, are dependent people who always need God's forgiveness. And instead, they're, they're kind of focused on their own obedience and religious performance in such a way that be, because we're false people, they've got to figure out a way to take the honesty and truthfulness that God calls us to and you know, draw that down, pull that down more to our level, and then figure out a way to take themselves and kind of lift themselves up a little bit higher. So how do you do that when it comes to speaking your word and making a commitment to do something? Well, you work yourself some formulas in there. If I didn't say it was by God that I'm going to do this, if I didn't promise to God or use his name specifically in this vow, then maybe I don't really have to keep it at the same level that I would other commitments. So they figured out a way to, you know, pledge by heaven. That's, that sounds important. You know, by heaven, I'm going to do this. By the city of God, Jerusalem, that's an important place. By this important city or by the temple, I'm going to do this. Or at the very least, they would say, you know, on my own life, I'm going to do this. And you don't need to turn there now, but in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, Jesus confronts the same thing. The Pharisees are, are making these promises, and he calls them blind guides there. He says, you're just way off track. Well, wh why is that so off track? It's like what Jesus is reminding them of. We don't, you know, we didn't make Jerusalem. We didn't make our own heads. We didn't make heaven. It's all God's turf, right? So we're playing on God's field the whole time. So to vow by this thing that you're going to keep your word and not really plan to keep your word or commit by this thing and not really plan to follow through, uh, that's just a game we're playing, really, spiritually. We're missing the fact that we're really false people and that we ought to just simply seek to say what we mean. And if we're not going to do something, don't do it. And if we say we're going to do it, do it. John Stott puts it probably better than I am right now. He says uh, on page 100 of his commentary on, on these uh, verses, he says, The Pharisees got to work on these awkward prohibitions and tried to restrict them. Hey, listen to this. They shifted people's attention away from the vow itself to the need to keep to the formula instead of making it. They argued that the law was really prohibiting 
was really prohibiting was not the taking of the name of the Lord in vain, but the taking of the name of the Lord in vain. False swearing, they concluded, meant profanity, to profane the use of the divine name, not perjury, a dishonest pledging of one's word. So they developed elaborate rules for taking of vows. They listed which formulae were permissible, and they added that only those formulae, which were including the divine name, made the vow binding. One need not be so particular, they said, about keeping vows in which the divine name had not been used. So you get the picture? Okay. They've, uh, they've figured out some way to kind of get by with this thing without actually admitting their desperate need for Christ and their uh, desperate false hearts. And so it's a reminder for us today as well as we think about the gospel. How does the, how does the gospel message cut, cut through this? Well, the gospel gives you and I great freedom in all areas of our spiritual life and our seeking to obey God. And the freedom is this, that you and I don't have to uh, reach up and try to figure out some way to bring God's uh, call, his command, his kingdom paradigm down to our level. And we don't need to play a game where we try to lift ourselves up and say we're more honest or more truthful than we are. In fact, the gospel says Christ loves you and me right where we are in our lost condition. And he wants to do a work of transformation in our lives. But that transformation flows out of what he's already done for us. So as believers, we say, OK, I'm righteous in Christ. I've got my righteousness. Now, then, I can actually try to obey God's law in its real, honest sense. And that means I don't have to be afraid about admitting that I'm not as entirely honest as I would like to be. Or I don't keep all the commitments I would like to. I don't have to create some structure to alleviate myself of that. God already knows that. He already sent Jesus to pay the price for that. And because he loves me so much, now I do want to be honest. I want to be honest in in the deep places, in the deep parts of my life. And really want to be a person of integrity in that sense because of his love for me. Not to try to earn it or not to try to adjust things so that I can fulfill it. Think for a moment about, uh, uh, and we'll get done with the bad news and move on to kind of how we begin to speak truth. But think for a moment about one of the sayings that we probably all said when we were little. And young people, some of y'all that are here, third graders, fifth graders, you know seventh graders, wherever you may be. Maybe you've said this before, talking to one of your friends or buddies, and, and you've got to substantiate that you're really going to do. You know, you're, you're, you're going to buy a baseball card from somebody, and they're giving you the card now, and you're going to pay them later. Or you're going to go to some event that they invited you to, and you want them to know you're really going to come. You're not just playing around. You say what? Cross my heart and hope to die. Maybe they don't say it anymore, but stick a needle in my eye. Kind of a crazy saying, really, right? Especially the needle in the eye part. Just a little bit rough for the kids. But, you know, we, we all said it. Well, what was the point of that? We're trying to say, hey, I know that in general humanity does not follow through on what they say. And other kids and other friends don't follow through on it either. So I'm giving you some kind of vow. I'm saying I'm crossing my heart by my heart, by my life. I'm going to do this thing. And if I don't do it, you know, deserve, I guess, to have a needle stuck in my eye. I'm not sure where that one came from. But what does that say about you and me? It says we, we really are not the kind of honest people that we like to think of ourselves as being. Let's talk for a moment about uh, speaking truth. 
what this passage means for it. And we probably need to clear out a little bit of uh, church history, you know, on, on the on the surface as we start to think about what it means to speak in truth. Uh, folks throughout the history of the church have interpreted this like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in a variety of ways, especially the church uh, folks before around the year 300 and then folks that are maybe in an Amish, Mennonite, Quaker sort of background uh, since the Reformation have usually looked at this and said, well, Jesus says, don't make any oaths. You know, he's kind of clear about that. And uh, so something's wrong inherently with oaths. So we can't, you know, we can't make an oath before a court. Uh, so we can't be involved in a jury. We can't serve in governmental service. Can't serve in the military because all of those things require some kind of oaths. Um, I'm not sure how they get around it with a marriage, because in your marriage, you're really kind of taking an, an oath to one another. But maybe that's a little different uh, church. You know, when you when you join a church and make the commitment, there's an, an oath there as well. But uh, all that to say that I think we ought to be aware that there is a context where folks look at this and they say, well, what what Jesus means then in terms of speaking in truth is, you know, his main point is don't ever take an oath. That's what he's upset about the oath thing. I, I don't I understand where they're coming from. And we ought to be real careful about any oaths or commitments we take. And if it's a matter of conscience, maybe we even in court say, hey, look, I'm not I'm not a big fan of taking oaths by my religious rights and freedom. I'll say I'm going to speak the truth here, but I'm not going to do your your oath. Maybe that's what you would do. The, the problem I have with it is, again, I think it gets off track. Jesus's main point is about learning to speak uh, truthfully. Right. And that's what he says. He says it's really not that complicated. It's pretty simple. It means that we should yet let our yes be yes and our no be no. Again, I like what Stott says. Let me read this to you. Simply, he says, What Jesus emphasized in his teaching was that honest men do not need to resort to oaths. It was not that they should refuse to take an oath if required by some authority to do so. He's just saying, hey, the issue is not actually the commitment that you make to other people, to be honest. The issue is about what type of people we're going to be and whether we speak the truth. Now, as we think about uh, speaking the truth, it's it's a tricky one, a tricky one to speak the truth at all times. I watched a movie one time. I'm not even sure I can remember the title of it, but it was one of these movies where the, the lead character had to, like, tell the truth all the time. Uh, it, but but it wasn't like what you would think. They, they had to tell almost everything they thought all the time. And I think we should, you know, for the sake of tact and keeping our relationships with one another, we should realize that when Jesus says, hey, speak the truth, speak faithfully, he's not saying we say everything that we think about one another all the time, right? We wouldn't make it too far with that. Uh, Jesus is saying this. He's saying that when we make our commitments, uh, you know, if you're here today and you're a member of our church or another church, you've probably made some commitment to that church uh, to uh, live as becometh a follower of Christ, we say in our commitments. To uh, support the work and worship of the church to the best of our ability. To submit to the government and discipline of the church and strive for its purity and peace. That's, a, that's something we take, make a promise to. Those of us here that are married really ties into our message last week. Uh, truthfulness relates to that. It, you can't really build that relationship or even a friendship or even many work relationships. That all falls apart, doesn't it? It crumbles if we're not honest so it's it's so important for us to try to speak truth to one another as couples to speak truth to one another in the church what about the uh and this this i don't think is just a a southernism but i definitely run into it as a as a pastor it's very very common for folks to say hey would you pray for me or why don't we pray for this 
All right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have always prayed for the things that we said we would pray for? I'll hold my hand up. I'll go ahead and let my, myself be on, on the front line of that. And as a pastor, you, you know, people ask you to pray for them for a, a, a variety of things. And I've had to put in my life some little checks and balances, you know, immediately put it in the daytime or so I remember to pray. Or when I hang up the phone, go ahead and pray right away. Don't let something else happen. Otherwise, I just forget to do it. But it's a small thing. Seems like a small thing. But Jesus is saying, hey, let's do what we say we're going to do. So if we're going to pray for somebody, say we're going to do that, let's seek to to really do it. And it's so much easier. Why, again, as we saw last week and thinking about uh, looking below the surface of the the uh, iceberg, if you will, you know, we said last week on the top of these lustful thoughts and so forth and this propensity to move away from a faithful relationship. And we asked, you know, what's below the surface in that iceberg? I think we asked the same question here. What's below the surface in our failure to be completely honest with folks and to say things that we're not going to do? Well, one of the things is, is we love approval of other people. You don't want to, I mean, it's a little awkward to say, you know what? I'm probably not going to remember to pray for you. So I'm not going to pray. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you I'm going to pray for you, right? That doesn't go over well. Instead, we'd rather say, oh, sure, I'll pray for you. And then <laughs> right, out of the, right out of the brain, right? Got no plans to actually follow through it because you'd have to, there'd be some disapproval there to, to do that. And uh, honesty sometimes brings disapproval. If we have to speak honestly with one another about difficult matters, we don't get along as well then. We all experience that if uh, we're in a friendship or a marriage relationship or even in the church family. So, so it, it's tough to do, and we ought to look and ask ourselves, you know, in those places where I tend to be dishonest, where I tend not to be fully faithful to what I say, what's actually driving it? What's below the surface that makes me do that? Maybe it's control. You know, we can control relationships and control communication if we if we maneuver things a little bit. We you know, we think of it most commonly in politics. You know, you smooth, smooth lipped speak people able to speak and say something and sort of mean one another, mean something else. But we do the same thing so often in our relationships. So being honest in all those ways, I think with our kids, too, uh, it goes both ways. Uh, Young people here. I know it is not uh, fun to have to admit something that you did was wrong. Tell mom and dad the full truth about that. And mom and dad have probably said, hey, there's, there might be some consequences still to it. But, you know, building a heart of honesty and forthrightness, that's good. And guess what? Mom and dad, your mom and dads, we need to work on it, too. And the places where we make commitments and say, hey, we're going to do that. Or I'll help you out with that piece of homework. Or, yeah, I'll make sure to be at that event. And, and we don't always follow through. The way that we should either. All of this is a, a reminder of how to speak in truth. And all of us, as all of these matters, as I conclude, really points us to the, the third thing. And the last thing I wanted to say this morning. And that's just this, that when we see uh, our propensity to falsehood and we see Jesus, not, not a watered down call to truth, but the real call to actually be uh, honest people of integrity in our words and in our intentions. When we see that, then it, it, it reminds us, it reminds me of how amazing it is that we have a God who speaks truth to us, whose, whose words can always be trusted. And there's those points where we struggle, where we don't see how his word is playing out in our lives the way we want it to, but he invites us to always trust that he's faithful in everything that he says. Uh, most importantly, in his 
commitment to say, hey, if you place your life in my hands, if you entrust your life to me for salvation and say, I'm not going to live my life for myself anymore. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to receive your grace and I want to live for you. We're not wasting that commitment because he's going to be faithful to his promise to, to meet us, to love us, to sustain us and to carry us on into eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you as we just uh, were considering, Lord, that you are faithful in all that you say and all of who you are. And Lord, when we recognize our propensity to duplicity and Lord, the lack of uh, forthrightness and integrity that uh, is often uh, plaguing us, uh, especially in our speech. In the commitments that we make, Father, we just are so thankful today that uh, we can walk with you, a God who is uh, reliable, sound, completely trustworthy in all things. And we do thank you that um, by your power uh, and your work in our lives, you, you give us grace to, to chart a new path. And we pray that uh, you would convict us of the areas of our life where we need to turn to you. And receive strength and that you uh, change the way we speak and uh, how we interact in a way that uh, we glorify you with all that we say that we'd be able to let our yes be yes and simply let our no be no. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.